The cannabis industry can be very scary and exciting at the same time, but you're not alone. Join the community and understand all the different influential people and ancillary providers who can help you scale and grow your audience and your business. I'm your host, Kamin Thrath. Let's dive into the Cannabis Business Development Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I wanted to talk to you about these really two great owners, Jenny and Philip. They are disabled veterans and owners of Freshly Baked, the first recreational cannabis home delivery company on the East Coast. They started this business with a focus on bringing access to recreational cannabis to other folks, especially veterans. They also are one of the few operational social equity companies in the state with being female, veteran, and minority owned. They both suffer from PTSD and use cannabis as an effective medicine. So they hope Fresh Bake can bring access to folks that are looking for a natural alternative. Jenny served as an emergency medical technician in the Air Force for almost five years and was a 9-11 first responder at the Pentagon. And Philip served as a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps for four years. And we thank them both for their courageous service. So we welcome them to the show and look forward to hearing more about their story. And today I see, I know that I think Jenny is tied up today and we have Philip. So welcome, Philip. What's up, brother? Thank you very much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you for taking the time coming today. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you guys got started and the purpose of what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's a really simple story. It's nothing fancy. And it was just us trying to find a way to stay asleep at night. And we started making these gummies in our own kitchen. We went online and we went through tons of recipes. You know, I probably still have some of the early ones in me still. That's how bad they were. I mean, it, it was rough, but you know, we got to a point where we were like, wow, you know, these are pretty good and they were working. That was probably the most important part. And we started giving them to friends and family. Some of our friends that were just looking for something just on the recreational side, but a lot of our friends that were looking for something to sleep and it ended up working. So we were like, you know, maybe we have something here. And this is an industry that I wanted to be in for a long time. I've enjoyed cannabis recreationally. And then a few years back, probably about three or four years back, I really, you know, embraced it as a medicine. And that's kind of what changed my life. But that's how Freshly Baked was born. And that was in 2018. Shortly after we were dabbling, the regulations came out and we started talking municipalities and the story continues from there. And you also focus a lot on social equity. So, you know, can you kind of share some of the experience and the stories around that? Yeah, sure. So I was in the first cohort of the state social equity program back in 2019. The actual original, I think it was January 19th of 2019. And the original group of us, there was only 18 of us actually in Worcester that day. And then they opened it up. And I think, you know, the cohort ended up with a hundred and so in the whole cohort. And then I was in the entrepreneur cohort and we had about 14 classes at the time. They were really educational. I learned a lot from those classes, made good contacts. And then from there, the social equity program, you know, gave us the exclusive ability to get the home delivery license. That's what helped us be the first home delivery license on the East Coast because we qualified because of social equity. But I qualified for social equity because I'm from a city of disproportionate impact. I live in town. I actually grew up in Brockton, um, but I live in town. I've been here for quite a bit now. But I was also arrested when I was younger. Shortly after high school, I was arrested not too far from town, actually, not in town. There was four of us in a car. We had just smoked a joint and... This is the true story. There was a party across the street and everyone was running out. We had no idea what was going on. And the cops kind of pulled into this parking lot and we were there and they came out to the car and they could smell it. And I'll just say there were four people in the car. I was the only one that was actually arrested that night. 
And, you know, it almost kept me out of the military. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I was still very much in, you know, a, a regiment and I wanted structure. So I was trying to be a cop, actually, which is funny because now I'm still back in cannabis now, right? But it stopped me from being a law enforcement officer. But it brought me here. And the social equity program is what helped me, you know, get the home delivery license. It gave us an expedited review on our license. And we're a micro company, too, and we got that as well. So that helped as well. So in the end, you know, it had worked out for me where at least it helped me achieve my dream here. And now I'm here. That experience that you encountered, like how do you weave that into your drive, your passion, like doing the business? So my drive is inner and personal to me. I'm never in a competition. I'm never, I won't say I'm never trying to prove somebody wrong. Inside, I need negativity from people to push myself anyway. So you know, especially in entrepreneurism, you're going to get a lot of no's before you ever get a yes. Those are the things that help drive me. And then, you know, when I accomplish something, it's always inside. I'm like, I'm gloating, but I let my actions speak. And so, you know, always kind of being an underdog, especially in this industry, like everyone is looking for capital. It's hard. And I don't have a lot of money. Jenny doesn't have a lot of money, but we put all the money we had into this and we pitched all of our close friends and family our dream too. You know, I wish I talked to some entrepreneurs where, and you see some of these companies, it's, you know, capital can hide a lot of flaws. And when you don't have capital, you have to be operationally sound. And that's what we are here. Like there wasn't any room at the beginning to make any mistakes. Like a mistake could have cost us the company. You know, we went through a short period where there was only two weeks of some testing issues that we have, not on the quality, but on the dosing that we had to adjust. That almost shut the company down. That almost shut the whole company down. It was pretty ugly. And I don't think I would still even get paid at that time. So, you know, being on the social equity, it's the underdog story. And there's some of us now that are qualifying because the qualifications are kind of changing that are coming in that are funded. But most of us are small mom and pops that are just trying to make it in an industry that's, you know, starting to be dominated by the big boys. And throughout this whole experience, some people call it failures. I call it lessons, right? So like, can you share some of those lessons throughout this? I think for all the folks listening who probably have been through the similar process as you, like what were those, you know, failures or lessons and takeaways? Sure. I think there are failures every day and there are wins every day. I always try to take small wins and I agree with you. Failures are always a way to learn. I've always learned from my greatest failures and my greatest wins, especially in entrepreneurism. Early on when I got out of the Marine Corps, I started a construction company with my father and I, you know, brought a baby product to launch in a former life. My ex-wife created a baby product and we brought that to market. And at the time, you know, that should have been probably my first big hit. And what I learned from that experience into this one is that, again, it was early on, you're going to hear a lot of no's. Like you're going to hear a lot of no's. You cannot give up. You have to keep going. You will start hearing yeses, but it's going to take a long time. And then when you hear that yes, you have to tell yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice to get here? For me now with this venture, it was everything everything I would have sacrificed, everything. And I have sacrificed a lot, but then I didn't. It was very early on and I had drove out to Connecticut actually with my father and it was with a crib and we pitched this like a shark tank to an investor out there and he loved it. It was the first yes I had gotten. Everyone hated it, but it was selling. We had it across the country and he said yes, but he wanted 80% of the company and he was going to fly me to China and I was going to do all the work. And at the time I got a lot of advice saying that, man, that's too much to give up. And you know, how can you do that? And you know what? I should have took that deal. Bird in hand is better than two in the bush. And I learned that in this venture. You know, when we were raising money, we had small goals. And if we hit them, we would move on from there. I ended up raising about half a million dollars, you know, to get this off the ground. 
I remember when we hit a hundred thousand, then we were going for 250 and it was hard. It wasn't, you know, even a hundred thousand was hard. We went to every kitchen table of people we knew and we pitched for months. And, you know, Jenny and I talk about our PTSD and that's real. I mean, it takes a lot, a lot for us to be able to get out and do the things that we've been doing. That's why cannabis is so important to us because without it, it just wouldn't happen. So just never giving up. If you have a good idea and you believe in it, if you actually believe in it, you've got to be able to sacrifice anything. I would have sold my house. I would have lived in a cardboard box. It didn't matter anything I had to do. I mean, you know, I was delinquent on my mortgage for a while. I mean, my credit isn't the best right now because of what I had to give up to get this going. But, you know, I'm here and I got operational and no one can ever take that away from me. And right now, Freshly Baked is one of the top manufacturers in the state. Like I said, we're the first home delivery company on the East Coast and we're doing well right now. So it was worth it. That story right there, I think the difference between being entrepreneurial and an entrepreneur, right? Like entrepreneurs, like it's blind faith. You're all in. And that's what you did. And I feel like sometimes that's the difference between winning and losing. Because sometimes you have to just, I even use the analogy of like, it, water doesn't boil with that, that extra degree. You need that one more degree for that water to boil. You have to literally, you can't be 99%. You have to be 100% in. And you're like, you get the nose, you move on. You get the nose, you move on. But it's law of averages. But if you believe in what you're trying to achieve, you can't let other folks deter you from your focus. And you know, kudos to you for doing that. And I think it's great that people can see that you're a, a real life example of what hard work looks like and just being determined and disciplined and courageous really to, to follow through in what you believe in. Yeah, it takes a lot. And then once you get there, you know, the battle is just beginning. Like with the cannabis license and, and those of us know who are trying or have done it, it takes a lot just to get operational. Like, I mean, that's hard, right? Through that whole process, the municipal process, the state process, raising money, just to get operational. And I always tell people, just get operational. Forget about all the other goals. Have one goal, get operational, because that's the key. Because then people will say, all right, you've accomplished something. Because until you're operational, I mean, I had people on the way that, you know, right before I was operational were telling me that I hadn't done anything yet. They were literally like, you haven't done anything. You're not even operational. And you know what? They might've had a point. It took me three years to get there. And it wasn't because you know, I had delays on my end. I mean, Jenny and I, and the team I have, well, it was her and I at first, and our team came on. We were very much on top of everything, but it was not easy. It was hard. And then once we got operational, that's when the real battle began. And over the past year, we've only been in operation for a year. We hit about 2.3 million in our first year. We're cash flow positive. I mean, things are looking great right now, but I'll tell you what, there were plenty of sleepless nights the last year, plenty of sleepless nights, plenty of days where I woke up and it was like, all right, if I don't secure some capital in the next like eight hours, like the company, I'm going to have to lay off half the people here. Like that's the way it was. I mean, it was not easy and we persevered and that's what it takes. It takes perseverance. I think I get a lot of that from the military too, you know, especially being a Marine. I did serve in combat in Iraq in 2003. And, you know, sometimes you have no fail missions where in your head, even though you know how dangerous things might be, it's, you know, everyone is coming home. Like, that's the way you think. Everyone's coming home tonight. Like, that's the way it's going to be. So when Jenny and I stepped into this, it was like, you know, this was a no-fail mission. Failure was not an option. We were going to get here, and we were going to succeed, and we were willing to do anything. Except lie, cheat, and steal, because we don't do that. I think, you know, part of our moral code is that we have radical transparency here. I can be very blunt and honest, and tough conversations never bother us. I think that's important, because people always know where I stand. But just moving forward, you know, always moving forward. There's never a time where we've gotten to a point where we thought that this was going to be over. It's never, you know, a while it's over. It's always, we can go around it, over it, under it, or through it, but we've got to get through. And it's the only way that we've gotten here. 
It's got to be the attitude that you have, especially if you don't have the capital. It's tough to watch companies that we deal with that are a mess. They are. I don't care how big or small, especially a lot of the big ones. There's a high turnover rate and it's tough to deal with a lot of these folks. We don't have a high turnover rate at Freshly Baked. We're very much like family oriented. I mean, we really care about everybody. It's important to us and people can feel that here. But with the capital, I mean, a lot of these folks operationally, they're a mess and you can see it when you're dealing with them. But I think when people deal with Freshly Baked, you know, it's different, but you know, we're not fancy folks. Like, I'm a regular guy. You know, I went to Massasoit Community College for half a semester. And that's when I went to the Marine Corps. I don't have a degree. I have a real savviness for business. I think my honesty helps and my leadership. But, you know, with capital, with the money, it just can cover up for mistakes. But in the end of the day, because we didn't have the capital, it's made us more efficient. So when we do have the capital, we're going to be raising money soon on Mainvest, actually is a new site that a lot of folks are going to be raising money on. We're, I think we might be the first operational cannabis company. So check us out next month on mainvest.com. People are going to be able to get in on this, but it's just made us better and stronger in the end. Looking back in this whole journey, right? If you had the ability to turn back time and do this over, what would you have done? You know, cause I think people listening like, okay, they're coming to you. Okay. I want to start this. Walk me through the process. What should I focus on? If you could even just group it to easy categories to make it, like you said, focus on one thing, but if you can go from start to going live, what would you do differently? Sure. So I go through all the steps. I probably have, I always critique myself on everything. So I feel like I could always do everything better. I think that's just first, just straight up. First off, like you can always do better, no matter who you are. Every day I'm trying to do better. Every day I expect my people to want to be better. So I could have done everything better. But from the beginning, you know, I went to different municipalities at first. Actually, first we went up to Boston and we spoke to a law firm because I wanted to get a handle on the regulations and ex exactly what it meant. Because again, I didn't have a lot of money. So it was like, if I put in money here, like, am I going to lose it? So after we went up and talked to our law firm, who we still use today, and they help us more on the investment side, you know, SEC, stuff like that. I think that's important, dealing with you know, investors. We would have probably... After we left the law firm, came home, I would have probably just first focused. I didn't go to Taunton first and I was already from here. I should have just focused Taunton first. I went to other companies that I kind of did some research online and heard that they were a little bit ahead. But at the end of the day, my local connection to Taunton is what helped me get here. So I think I would have focused more on Taunton first. And that probably could have saved me like maybe three months if you want to put a time on it, you know, not putting the energy in these other municipalities. After that, for the application, Submitting, and I've told people this too since this has happened, submitting the application to the CCC, ASAP, whether you think it's complete or not, submit it because that is time. That is time you cannot get back. And at the time, you know, right now, if you submit to the CCC, there's actually a queue and you know where you're at. When Jenny and I submitted an application, we waited eight months before we heard anything back. We didn't know what was going on. There was no queue. You just waited. So, you know, I wish I would have just, I think we were getting towards the end of the application and there were like a few SOPs that I was like, oh man, I don't know. And the law, and, and we were like, well, should we wait? And I was like, no, no, we're done with this. Like, we've got to get this application in. And thank goodness that we did, because we could have spent another, you know, a month or two, like fiddling around with nonsense. Because at the end of the day, the CCC comes back with an RFI. If something isn't right, you get to fix it. But at least you're at another stage, you know, at the beginning stage. So getting the application in ASAP. It's not a no. They send it back. If it's RFI two, three, four, five, they're going to keep coming back. Raising money. 
there was certain, you know, we, I talked about earlier when we set a hundred thousand dollar goal at the beginning, we set a hundred thousand dollar goal. We got there. And I already knew this because I've read enough and I've heard enough and I've had enough experience to know that when people want to give you money, you just take it because you don't know if that money is going to be there next time. So we got to a hundred thousand dollars and we were like, all right, that's it. We had probably another, probably 40 or 50 at the time that we were like, all right, we're going to open another round. Hold off. We're going to open another round. And we did. And we probably lost 30 of that because those folks just weren't ready or didn't have the money at that time. So when you have a round and it's opening, you have a goal. You can get above that goal. Bring in the money. You can never have enough capital. Just bring in the money if it's there. When it came to opening up in, at first, I wish I would have went around because Jenny and I kind of designed the whole facility and built it out. I had taken tours, but I wish I would have went back again and just went more in detail. I had a lot of people that were offering me access. I wish I would have went back like for two, three visits to make sure I had everything right and ask more detailed questions about like humidity and temperature. Like, what are you guys using here? Is that a problem? And even if they had negative problems, like you said, you can learn from anything, whether someone's succeeding or failing, you have the information, you can make a, a you know, an informed decision. So I wish I would have went back. So if you have access to facilities and you have any questions, and I do that now, I have people that come when they want to see the facility now and come in take pictures, like ask questions, like whatever you can learn in here, learn because it will save you money in the long run. I mean, I could keep going. I mean, it, it can go on forever, but I think at the end of the day, never be afraid to ask questions. And I think that's important, you know, go ask the questions. If someone's giving you access, you know, take it and just double check things. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have the capital, just small decisions that you're making now can be big mistakes later. Yeah, that was extremely helpful. I think people are listening like, can hear and learn from your experience. So thank you so much, Philip, there. What do you feel are some of the myths that you can kind of debunk about the industry or what you're doing for all these other folks that want to get into it? The cannabis industry is not as sexy as everyone wants to think it is. <laughs> it's not. This is going to be the, if not the hardest startup you've ever been involved in. Not just because it's highly regulated, but it is highly dependent. And not just on the legal side, you know, on my home delivery side, my biggest competition is the traditional market. It is not the dispensaries. There aren't many delivery companies right now, but I tell you what, the traditional market or black market delivery companies, I mean, they got that on lock. I mean, they have some unbelievable menus. I mean, I reached out to them to make sure I knew what my competition was. I mean, their customer base, their prices. Granted, you know, on the legal side, testing and quality, that's where we can sell because I think that is important because you don't know where that stuff has been and who's actually touched it. But at the end of the day, the black market is extremely strong. And, you know, capital, like I've talked about earlier, having the right capital to move forward comfortably. A lot of folks out here right now, they're going to be starting. They have an idea in their head of the salary they're going to be paying themselves. And like, you know, cut it by three quarters right now, or maybe zero. Like, that's not what you're going to be doing at first. You're not going to just hop in and start making money like that. It takes a lot of work, not only to develop a good product, you know, we had to reformulate from our first one. You have to always be able to pivot. Developing a good product, sales, and marketing, right? Product, sales, and marketing. Those are the three, if you want to just cut them down to three right there. And on the sales side, you know, my COO has been doing all of our sales for about a year, and he's unbelievable. And, you know, Jenny and I hop around from different portions of the company where we need to, to kind of build it up, give people the guidance and the confidence to take it, and then we let people run and we trust them. Very much like the military. You train someone up. And then you move on. I love to bring people from in-house and train them up. I just jumped into the sales side right now. And, you know, we're having one of our best months, but, you know, it is hard. 
it is hard, man. Sales is hard. We were going against budgets where they have four or five people on a phone every day and they've got two people on the road every day. And right now I have one person on the phone and me on the road every day going to dispensary, dispensary, selling the company. And it's important because it was harder for us to sell at first because we didn't have the data. Right now we use BDSA. That has helped so much. Being able to bring data to a conversation. When you tell someone that, you know, you're doing X or your sales are X, like bring the data, have the proof. Uh, you know, BDSA has us at number eight in the state. They have us at number two. This is in gummies. Number two in sales relative to our distribution. We're only in 25% of the, those dispensaries in the state, but freshly baked gummies fly off the shelf. And that's what I tell people, but I got to take out a graph to be like, and BDSA has shown me this because I can't just say that. I would just say it anyways, because I think I'm a hype man. I mean, I believe my product, but I've got to have the proof. So um, sales and marketing are tough. Marketing budget. My marketing budget is like zero. Like we don't have a marketing budget. Like I have one of my employees that steps up and helps with the social media. You know, we try to do our best with, you know, my COO, who's great at designing, has done a lot of the design work, like all this stuff. Like we just don't have the budget. So, you know, you're not going to step into the cannabis industry and be like, all the dreams are coming true. Like we've heard about it. It doesn't work that way. And I'm just going to say it right now because it's the facts that, you know, the small guys, it's even tougher, not just because of the capital, but it's hard for us to keep those types of relationships when you're dealing with, you know, 100 dispensaries plus. Like, it's just tough to keep those relationships. It's tough. So when I'm going to dispensaries now and I'm giving out prices for our gummies and people are giving me prices from MSOs that are cutting my price in half, I know they're losing money. I know they're not making money, but... They have the capital to burn. And that goes back to earlier when I was saying you can't give up. Like, you can't give up. Like, I'm using everything I can at my disposal to sell people on why my gummy that's $5 more is going to be better on their shelves. Like, it's important. Not only the story, but me personally. Like, you get me. Like, you're getting me all the time. Like, you have access to me. You're getting me at a pop-up. Even though we're going to start bringing on brand ambassadors, like, you'll get me there to launch the brand. Like, these are the extra things that we have to do to stay competitive. So, just know that from day one, anything that you think you're going to be doing work-wise, like double, triple it. Like this is a 24-7 job. It never stops. And I have PTSD. I mean, there's mornings where I don't want to wake up still. I suffer from depression. Like it's just real talk. Like that's how it is. I'm lucky I have a good team that I can rely on. But even with me, it is a battle, man. It is a battle out there. How are you winning when knowing the price is getting undercut, right? So like, other folks, so how are you winning? What are you saying? What are you doing? Like, what's the positioning, the messaging? First, first, the story of the company and mission. You know, who are you? You know, let them know who you are. You're not just some random CEO or owner from one of these big MSOs. Let them know who you are and reaching out personally. And then your story, like, is it real? Like, our story is real. I mean, we started making these gummies in our kitchen. We got into this not to be millionaires. That was not at the forefront when we got into this. The point was, is that, you know, I enjoyed, like I said, cannabis for years, but medically when I embraced it, I mean, that's what got me to this level here where I'm at right now. And I think when it comes to our story, it's real. Like it's Jenny and I, like it was our gummy. Like we want to bring access to other veterans. That's exactly why we're here. Like it's not to drive profits to a board of directors. We are the board of directors and believe me, the profits aren't going here. So I think that's number one, your story. Number two has been quality of our products. We make 30,000 gummies a day and every single gummy is touched by hand. Every single one. I know because Jenny and I were the first ones in there making all the gummies. All right. There isn't probably a job in here I haven't done or that I know how to do. So that's important. That quality every day, making sure that our customers are getting a consistent product. 
on our dosing. You know, I talked about we had some dosing issues. Some of that was external, but a lot of it was internal because we wanted to make sure that we were on point every time for our customers that they can rely on Freshly Big to be, we try to be five to 5.4. That's what we try to be. Um, and we're pretty good at getting there. So quality is the next point. Branding, distinguishing ourselves from the other companies early on. And I have to give more of that credit to my executive team that really pushed that early on. We didn't have a budget for it. So there was some tough conversations on why it wasn't happening. But when I was like, all right, let's change it up. Because we had an original symbol at first. I was like, let's change it up. But, you know, we need to do it with zero money. How can we get it done? And they came up with an idea and we did get it done. And focusing on the branding at first, the branding right now, even when we can't touch people, they'll see that right there somewhere. And they'll look for the Moon Man and find us and say, I saw the Moon Man sticker or I saw your branding. These are, you know, inventory managers, wholesale managers. I'd love to have that in the show. Not even trying the product yet just on the branding alone has gotten us, you know, an ability to get on shelves. So that's been super important. So those aspects right there, when it comes to adding value to our customers, which are dispensaries, like that's how we're competing right now. Being innovative. You know, we just launched a live resin gummy. Nobody's doing that yet. We're the first one doing that. There's hashables, there's all types of hash edibles and stuff out right now, but we're the RSO, but we're the only ones doing that. And that's hot right now. It's a sativa gummy. You know, we have a vape line that's coming out. We're being innovative there. We have some other interesting products coming out, like biscotti macaroons, like finding these products that other folks aren't making because they might not just have the capacity. And then going in that route is another good way because, you know, the gummy market is the most saturated out of all the products. Um, for us to be at number two relative to our distribution in the top 10 is like a miracle. Like it has to be because, I mean, just they're everywhere. Everyone's making their own gummy. But that's why we're diversifying now and moving out to other products because we just can't rely on that. So I think that's important too. You might want to call it a miracle. Some people want to call it luck, right? But I think it's like hard work meets opportunity, right? You guys are putting the work, you're grinding it out. Opportunities out there, but because you're putting the work in, that's why you're succeeding. And kudos to you and for your team, really your team pushing you to talk about branding. This is something I talk to all of our clients about is like, you know, everyone wants to get lead generation when I get sales right away, but they don't put the work in to work on the brand. You know, you got to build that brand awareness brand affinity. You want to build that loyalty, that demand for people wanting to come and work with you. Look for your logo, you know, look for your product because they just know how strong your brand is. You got to develop that first, then everything falls into place. A lot of people put the cart before the horse where they're trying to get sales and all these things. It's like, well, no one knows your story. No one knows your purpose. No one knows why even product is good. Are you telling the difference why your product is better than another gummy? It's all this educational piece. It's the um, consideration, what we call is that is the like, why you versus someone else? So you have to also educate there, right? Social proof. So if you keep focusing on that, and that doesn't stop, like there's a reason why Coca-Cola and, and McDonald's still has their brand awareness out there. They, they don't need to, but they do it because it's a process that works. You bootstrap it, or even when you start to have the funding, you still need to put a lot of energy and effort into branding because it's the top of the funnel and it will keep pushing to the bottom, which is sales. It's not easily linear like that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons like people might talk to someone that they research you and they might see you at an event. I mean, there's a lot of touch points, but all that your efforts that you're doing, it's really branding, which we call demand gen at the end of the day. So that's great. So what are you guys doing to kind of help make your brand stand out differently? You mentioned your logo. Is there anything else that's helping you differentiate yourself? Yeah. So first of all, just our name alone, freshly baked. Right. Freshly baked companies. So in Massachusetts, they can be pretty strict on the names of companies. 
in the regulations that says they can't be a colloquialism. That's very subjective, because I think in our minds, we all have phrases that we use. There could be phrases I throw out right now that no one's heard of. So when we first submitted the application, freshly baked actually got denied. I actually have a funny story on that. I was actually in the social equity program at the time, and we had a business plan course by the chair, Commissioner Hoffman. And after the course, I went up to him and I had my old business card. Jenny and I created that. It was strategic, actually, at the time. We created Freshly Baked, the original logo, to look more like a bakery because it wouldn't be as scary, not impactful when we went to the city. And for a long time, even when we got our um, provisional, people at the city hall thought that we were a bakery. A lot of people didn't even know we were a cannabis company yet. So I went up to Commissioner Hoffman. I showed him the card. and I was like, Commissioner Hoffman, three seconds. Just give me initial thought. I just want your thoughts real quick. What do you think? He was like, he looked at the car and he was like, looks like a bakery. And I was like, all right, let me talk to you for a minute. So I talked to him and granted, he's not going to influence his people. That's not who he is. He's not going to do that. But I thought it was important to get his insight. So he told me at the end, he was like, I think if you went back to my people and just, you know, put in the argument that you're giving me now, I think they would be reasonable. And that's all he said. And he handed it back to me. So we went back and we put together, um, you know, a rebuttal and the name did get approved. I fought for that again. I had people that were not only in the social equity program, but in the industry that were, you know, coming up like I was that told me that they would never approve that name. Told me, you're crazy. They're never going to approve that name. I said, well, for a small company like all of ours, brand recognition is going to be what saves the day for us. I was like, someone's got to push the boundaries. I was like, I'm pushing this. So I pushed back and it got approved. The same thing with our movement, you know, is that a cartoon? You know, is that going to appeal to children? And I pushed on that and that got approved. So, you know, that was super important. Being able to get not only the name Freshly Baked, which there's so much you can do with that. And people love the name, but also like a iconic kind of symbol too. And that's why we went with the movement and we've moved on to our packaging where our packaging is extremely colorful, but not like neon colorful. It's very tasteful. We went with a moon theme, but a movement theme, but we went through a, a few iterations of things that we all kind of saw and we're like, eh. Some things we like, ah, this, even the movement, it took like three days for all of us, our team to look at that. And then something just clicked in all of us one day and we jumped into Slack and we were like, okay, we're in on the movement. And everyone was like, oh, okay, we are in the movement. And then we move forward with that. But our packaging has evolved from there. You know, all of our packaging, we put a focus on what that looks like. Like that's super important. I know we're not on the shelves per se yet, like a store where you can kind of just pick, but even bud tenders, like they need to remember you too. They're kind of like the front line. Once you get in there, you've got to connect with them. And there are a lot of companies in the industry that do very well connecting with the bud tenders. That's something that we're trying heavy right now to do because they're the ones that, if a customer is there, oh, I remember Freshly Baked. I remember that movement. I've had that gummy before. You know what? You should try this. Their CBN one actually works for me. Like, it's super important that they know your brand too. It's kind of like success, right? Like that, that bud tender is really the person who represents your brand. That's the experience that they're having. So it goes from top down. And then I know that your work, I mean, I can just tell from your passion that that's something you're exuding into your culture and culture is a big part of the brand. I think a lot of businesses right now are trying to figure out why their sales are not as good or they're not, you know, getting good engagement with their potential clients anymore, the losing clients of it comes back down to culture because culture comes out to branding. Once you understand the brand and everyone understands the purpose of the brand, everything falls into place. Sales will come, everything will come, but it also operations too. Operations is a big deal, which you're in. I mean, there's so many components to running and scaling a business, which 
No, I mean, just our conversation, we have a few minutes here. I want to ask you about, you mentioned earlier around data, and we're seeing this now as it, and it not, I guess we can call it a trend, but I think it's really the reality now is we call it data transformation is understanding all the different data points, right? It might be your ERP system. It might be your customer, your CRM system. It might be your POS system. It could be your social media stuff, your web traffic, all that data is everywhere, but you have to centralize it, you know, to help understand the health and the ecosystem of your business and which data is influencing what that's going to either affect positively or negatively, you know, production, customer success, marketing, sales. So like share us kind of like your experience or your relationship with data and how important is that to the success of your company? Sure. I'll first say that instinct is very important too, because I use a lot of instinct, but I need the data though, to make informed decisions. Like you got to have the data. It's not cheap. You know, we have access to BDSA. I won't tell you how much it is, but it took us a bit to get there. It's not cheap. They're working with us. But right now it's driving our gummy flavors. Like we have a big meeting today about like what flavors are we going to be launching? And, you know, we could do tests with all of our folks and we can give our input. But at the end of the day, I need to know what consumers are actually looking for out there. We have like three flavors right now that we're going to go to. And we've decided on those because those are like the top six that we found on BDSA for gummies. Our CEO right now is a master and a wizard with numbers. And, you know, he does a lot of projections and all of that is driven from the data that he collects from our home delivery side to our sales to down to what flavors people want in the industry. You know, right now, that's why we went to live resin because we realized there's a hole right now in the market for that. It's big out West, but it's not here. You know, that wasn't just me waking up and being like, oh, we need live resin today. No, that was a data driven decision that has paid off 100%. So there are other platforms that you can use as well. But if you can get access to the data, use it to drive your decisions. Because at the end of the day, at least you can look in the mirror too. If something doesn't go right and say, well, I did the research, right? I'm never afraid to make a bad decision. I mean, you're not going to have a win every time, but I want to make sure that I did my due diligence to get to that decision because I never regret the decision either when I make it, even if it's an extremely tough decision. I always stand behind it. Like that's how I felt at the moment. I think that that's the military in me. Like there are decisions that you have to make, especially in combat that aren't coming back. Like this is a decision, own it. Love it. Love it. To kind of wrap up here, all we're doing in the purpose of this podcast is to help share a story, but we're really building this cannabis community. So what does that community mean to you, Philip? So I look at the cannabis community as everyone too, like everyone in the community. If you have any type of connection to cannabis, like you're in the community. Community for me is, and we talked about the traditional market. Like if you Google right now, delivery in my area, you'll have a few black markets, traditional market, whatever you want to call them, come up that are large scale. Like I don't look at that as community. I look at that just like a huge illegal corporation. Now the guy who lives next to me, because I was that guy who's growing in his basement and he's selling to friends and family. I'm all about that. That is the community, you know, person in their sixties who hasn't smoked since they were in high school, who goes to the dispensary that knows nothing about cannabis. They're in the community. The person that goes to the dispensary doesn't know anything and they need education because I'm still getting educated. There's a lot in cannabis. I mean, there's a lot that I still need to learn. Like they're in the community. Anyone that's open to the plant to me is in the community and we should treat each other as such because there are unbelievable benefits to this plant and there are big stigmas as well. So the more that we can talk about them and share our experiences, 
just like in entrepreneurism, and that can motivate folks to try the plant. So, you know, anyone that's, like I said, anyone that's interested in cannabis, for whatever reason, doesn't have to be medical, because, you know, even for me on the medical side, a lot of what cannabis does for me is like a sense of well-being, like mentally, like, you know, I can suffer from depression and also anger too. It's something that can change my day. You know, Jenny's not on here today. She's been battling cancer and she's finishing up her radiation treatments, but, you know, PTSD, you know, that depression from those treatments, appetite, like those are the things that Jenny has also been using cannabis for. So, you know, the community is huge. We want to be inclusive though. We don't want to be exclusive. Perfect. Last question. So you're doing so many things. So what are you guys working on right now? What's going on? What aren't we working on right now? Um, <laughs> let's see. All right. So we're launching our new vape line next month. We are actually, and this is something we're going to be announcing soon, but Montel Williams, we've teamed up with Montel. We are actually Montel's exclusive distributor manufacturer in the state of Massachusetts for his Inspire brand. And we're going to be launching that soon too. That's going to be hot. And Montel's going to be out here talking to a lot of folks about that. Uh, we have a infused biscotti that we're going to be launching with Nona the Stoner who's a 70-year-old grandmother who makes unbelievable infused biscotti. She's working with us right now. Those will be launching soon. we got a macaroon coming out from Miss Mary Max, another small company here that we work with. We try to find local folks that want to get into industry that just want to maybe come and work with us under our license, and we team up because it's hard. Like, we're trying to help folks get in. We're trying to keep open the door. We have that going on. We are very much closely watching social consumption right now. It's a micro company, a social equity company. You know, we said we'd be one of the first home delivery companies. A lot of people laughed at me. We were the first home delivery company. We want to be one of the first social consumption establishments on the East Coast. So, you know, that's in the works right now. We're in New York State. I got a partnership over there with a old vet, a disabled veteran-owned company there. And we're going to go after a license in New York State as well. And that's serious business. So we have a lot that we have cooking right now in the kitchen. And just like we did with Freshly Baked here and all of our plans, you know, once we set goals, those goals are achieved. So that's what we're doing right now. And we're looking forward to it. We actually have a cultivation license as well. I just don't have the money for that build out right now. And the way that the flower has been dropping here in the state, we've made the decision to double down on manufacturing and then revisit maybe a small craft, something small crafty later on. But yeah, that's what we got working and we'll see. Just a few items. Right? <laughs> just <a> few. <laughs> so you basically just love pressure. <laughs> you know what pressure? i always look at it like this and i really I, I measure everything towards my time in the military and i look at it and i look back to my combat experience and i always say there's nothing that scares me there's nothing that scares me i've been through hell i've been through the worst jenny and i we talk about this a lot you know when, especially if there's like a fire put out on the ground there are no lives at stake here nobody is going to die at the end of the day here there are no lives at stake. So at the end of the day, it's still not that serious. So the pressure is there, but I mean, I guess I can thrive in it. I guess I can. And, and I guess, you know, cannabis is probably the catalyst that probably helps us the most. And, and people excel in pressure. You're probably one of those types of people. And I'm the same way. My wife is opposite. She's a planner, but we complement each other very well. Yeah. But she does remind me too. Like when I get a little stressed out about stuff, she's like, come no one's dying from the marketing, <laughs> yeah. like, right? Because we think it's a huge fire and it's perspective. So you're right. And then I think, I mean, you can definitely say that because of the experience that you've had. So I think just putting that perspective is really, I think, hopefully a good takeaway for a lot of people listening that depending sure. on what you're doing, that no one's dying from it. Um, hopefully no one, no, no, hopefully no one is dying from it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not, we're not. And I think if you believe in yourself, believe in yourself. 
Like if you're going to believe in yourself, buy in 100%. I always say the best bet I can always make is on myself. Like that's the only sure bet I always feel like I can make is on myself. So if you believe in yourself, like bet on yourself. There, you know, there might be some pressure there, but if you believe in yourself, you'll get through it. There are people doing unbelievable things right now in other places of the world that don't even compare. Like if you believe in yourself, then do it. Boom. That's a good end cap there. If people wanted to get a hold of you or reach out to you, just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, you know, your experience, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. They could email me directly at philip with one L at freshlybakedcompany.com. I always try to get back to, okay, one of my pet peeves now, you know, when I first started, I reached out to a lot of people. Some of them were Marines, have some big companies out there and I was ignored. And I always told myself, if I make it in this industry, which I was going to, whoever reaches out to me, I will get back to them. And I do, no matter who reaches out to me, I get back to them. It might not be today, but I will get back to you hundred percent. So if you want to reach out, ask me any questions, I jump on calls with people. I'm super busy, but I'll make time. I always try to make some time. I think that's important to pass it forward. You're serving, right? And that's in your nature. And I think it's important. If you serve others, it just, it comes back full circle. It does, it does come back. I believe that. I do. All right. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I had fun. Thanks for spending your time with us. This podcast is for you. And if you have any topics you'd like to learn more about or suggestions, please email us at podcast at indicativemarketing.com. And don't be a stranger. Connect with me on LinkedIn.